This is 4L with Ryan O'Neill and Rebecca DeCoster. What up? What up? <laughs> Ryan. Yeah. This Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial, which was a gift three weeks ago, is still going on. Yeah, they had a one week recess and now they're they're back at it they're back at it and i um so for those of you who aren't paying attention i i'm sad for you but also like they johnny depp went first obviously as plaintiff they put on their case um then amber heard has been putting on witnesses um all of this week I think she started her direct before the break and then they took a big long break and then she finished her direct and they've crossed her. And now they're calling sort of these ancillary witnesses um, for the defense, including like her sister and a makeup artist and some hang, it seems like a lot of hangers on to me. Um, yeah. And somebody said, so then they just have to do summations. And I'm like, I mean, if I'm Johnny Depp's legal team, I'm calling rebuttal witnesses all day long after Amber Heard is done with her case in chief, because yeah. I think there's a lot of hay to be made with some of her inconsistent testimony. And she's, she, um, she dropped some names during her testimony that I think are going to come back and bite her. So it's, I'm still like enjoying every minute more than I should be. <laughs> so it's interesting. Uh, because, and I guess I sort of equated it to this. It, it, your description of her witnesses, I think, is pretty accurate. And it it reminded me of folks who, you know, have, you know, family law or, or domestic matters, and they want to call, you know, their mom and dad to testify about what a great parent they are. <laughs> and I always say, you know, I think there might be limited, very limited, very, very limited circumstances where those types of witnesses and testimony is actually beneficial to a fact finder. But otherwise, it's exactly what you would expect, right? You know, I want to come and testify about what a great parent my son or daughter is. And, and I think she's had, it, it's sort of the, the equivalent of that, of having family members come in who I wouldn't expect to say something contrarian to what she's testified to. I know a lot's been made about the fact that nobody so far, as, as at least as, as of the date we're recording this, nobody has testified about witnessing him hitting her. Oh, no. Her sister testified yesterday and testified that she witnessed it. Okay. But also... Prior to that, nobody had, though. Prior to that, there has been no one else, and she is the only one, and she is her sister. Right. So... I like I'm not on the jury. I'm not watching the whole entire thing like it's my job. Um, but I if I am a fact finder and every other witnesses is like, nah, I didn't see any of that or no, she was always the aggressor or whatever. Like I have some real questions about the bias of the one single witness who corroborates anything that she says. Yeah, because she she a lot of. Amber's testimony was like all my friends were around and they saw this, 
but none of them are testifying. Like if I had a dozen witnesses at my hen party that my, like I got backhanded or whatever, I'm calling every, like until the judge tells me no, because it's cumulative, I'm calling every single one of those people. Right. So I don't know. I think- well, I think it, it goes to, and, and this was sort of the, the more meat and potatoes that I wanted to get into was, was you know, the, the legal aspects of, of how she has testified versus how he has testified and, and, and how they've presented themselves because, you know, make no mistake about it. Like these are two actors. One is superior to the other in terms of talent. And, and that's clear just in how they've testified. Just on the stand, you can tell. Right. But they're, they're putting on a performance and, yeah. and, and the performance from one has been better than the others. And, I'm, and again, I'm not talking to like, like you. I haven't sat as the judge or the jury and listened to every single minute of testimony. Um, so I don't want to be wading in to say that I find him more credible or her more credible. I think we covered that in part one of this podcast, talking about the difference between, you know, how, and, and oh, you still see it online, right? That there, you know, every, that, that folks don't want to apply nuance and that every relationship with elements of domestic violence has to have one hero and one villain, that there's right. no, there's no room or reason that you could just have two people who were equally or comparatively negligent in terms of their combustibility. And, you know, that, that to me has been the most frustrating thing reading, you know, Team Johnny, Team Amber, Vogue comes out yesterday and says, why isn't anybody believing Amber Heard when the British court did? And I'm going, I mean, like, my brain wants to explode because you've got somebody writing an article and applying legal standards that they clearly don't understand. Right. Um, but, you know, their, her testimony has... I don't want to say been exaggerative, but it, it's filled with a lot of generalities, right? Like a lot of, yes, you know, and, and, and that stuff gets you into trouble, right? When you go out there and you start testifying with that big, broad stroke. And like you said, then you have witnesses come on and say, didn't see that, didn't see that, didn't see that. Like, oh, that really, I mean, when you are testifying, you know, and, and I presume as I'm sure you do, that they did considerable witness prep for her. Well, it doesn't they? look like it. <laughs> I mean, we can get into that, but no, I think you're, I think that is what I've noticed about the parts of her testimony that I've seen is incredibly detailed about things that are irrelevant, mm -hmm. incredibly detailed about things that are irrelevant. And then when she's testifying about the abuse, it's also incredibly detailed, but also um, very general or things that don't make sense. Like from, like there's the, I think probably you've seen this one where they've made a little clip about it. And she says, he slapped me across the face and then I turned around and looked at him. Well, hold on. How did he slap you across the face with your face facing away from him? I don't understand that. Yeah. And I think like perhaps if the questioning had been better or the prep had been better, if that actually happened, maybe she could have described it in a better way that made more sense. But those, I think no one's doubling back on those inconsistencies and clarifying them. 
So she leaves the stand with a lot of testimony that is scattered, doesn't make sense, is difficult to logically make sense out of, which I will say is not that unusual for domestic violence victims. Sometimes their testimony is scattered. Sometimes you don't remember clearly because you're in chaos and it's traumatic and memory works oddly when you're traumatized. But I haven't heard them call any witnesses that explain like, this is why her testimony seems scattered or this is why it doesn't make any sense or clarifying with her on redirect like, so you described this and that sounded odd to me, Ms. Heard. Can you make that make sense for me? Like, I'm, there's a lot of drop balls that are, I'm, I'm surprised with such a high stakes, high, highly public trial that there are things happening from the legal teams. Like, I don't, it doesn't surprise me that a witness blows it. Like they're witnesses. Right. Well, and, and look, there's been a lot of internet memeing, which candidly has been fantastic. Oh, amazing. Um, and TikTok videos, uh, you know, look, the, the, and I can't remember the gentleman's name, her attorney who objected to his own question on the basis of hearsay. You know, that poor guy, look, we've all had courtroom blunders where we've all asked a question that was either, and, and, and you know, there's, there's books, you know, where you can get transcripts and, you know, how did you know that the witness was dead or something? You know, we've all asked stupid questions because we're trying to elicit testimony in a certain way and get a certain answer. Um, right. I will say, you know, the questions that she was asked seemed comparable to the questions that he was asked, at least, you know, by their respective teams, where there has been, I think, a real drop-off in legal prowess has been in their attorney's ability to cross-examine. I thought her team did a poor job cross-examining Johnny, and I thought his team did a fantastic job cross-examining her. Yeah. Um, Agree. And I'll, I'll tell you too, like even just in the objections, I, and maybe we discussed this before, but I, his team's objections, Johnny Depp's teams, are the example of how you make an objection. Objection and then one or two words for the basis of yep. your objection. Like objection hearsay, objection relevance, objection asked and answered. And I think her team did more of what I see way too much of in practice is the meandering objection, like a paragraph. I am going to object on the basis of blah, 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 because blah, 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 blah. No, right. just objection and then your basis. And if I need more, like I'll ask more or I'll ask for the other side's response to that. But if it's like blatantly obvious that it's asked and answered, all you've got to say is objection asked and answered and it's sustained, right? Yeah. Well, and, and, and look, the, the, the star in the making from this trial is his attorney, Camille Vasquez, yeah. who um, during redirect, exactly what you said, it, it, was a, it was almost a master class in objecting succinctly. Even the objections that were overruled, I will tell you, as a judge, I was sitting there and I'm going, well, and I'm not a judge, but as somebody who, who hears objections, I'm sitting there going, 
I don't know. I think she might've been right on that one. I, it, 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 it was almost sort of the equivalent of I'm going to either give them some rope or I've sustained you so many times that I just have to throw poor Elaine a bone and, <laughs> and let her have one because everyone's are going, no, she's kind of right about that. And then, but, but the objection was overruled. So I'm going to over, sorry. And I said sustained, I meant overruled. Right. Um, well, I think the other thing too, and is in you and I already talked about this is to some extent, once you're on a roll with the objections and you keep getting sustained, even if you are going to get overruled, but you've got a good faith basis for making an objection, if it's derailing the person who's asking a question and they are off of their outline or whatever, and they can't, they just drop it. Every time you make an objection, they drop it and move on to the next question. I'm objecting all day. And that's exactly what was happening on the redirect. Exactly what was happening. She, those objections were just, she was so, her, Amber's attorney was so frazzled in terms of trying to either get back on track or, I mean, just responding to the objection, you know, was, seemed right. to be difficult, but, but, but you're absolutely right. It, it, those objections, whether they were sustained or not, they're the purpose of, of firing those shots across the bowel were to throw her off of the question she was asking. And it worked perfectly. I know. And it, sh it shouldn't like particular, I presume that Amber's lead attorney, Elaine, whatever her name is, has been practicing for some time. She appears to be over 40. Um, and so I presume she's been practicing for some period of time and it shouldn't work. Like that strategy shouldn't work. You should be able to say, I'll rephrase or let me ask it a different way or go lay your foundation if the objection is a lack of foundation, you know, instead of saying, I'm trying. Now I'm trying to find her. Um... Oh, online. While you're doing that, let me also say part of, I think what is really fascinating to me about this isn't that we're in a defamation trial, but the parallels between a family law case and this case are astounding to me because what we're really watching is a divorce trial in the guise of it being a defamation trial, right? Yes, yes. And that's, I was exactly what I was going to touch on was that I think there is a lot of confusion or folks are sort of sitting there at home and commenting on this on social media that, that they are watching either a criminal trial or they're watching a civil assault trial. And that is not what this case is. This case is defamation, right? And, and within that, right? And you know what? We should have had we blew it, Rebecca. We absolutely blew it. And maybe we need to do a part three on this. And we need to bring in Diane Warshaw, who wrote that fantastic article on Mean Girls and Defamation, to yeah. chime in on this. We are going to do that. I'm going to reach out to her. We're going to get her on this because she would have some incredible insight. But we talked about this when we talked about the Mean Girls Burn book, that truth right. is a defense. And so right. both sides are trying to show, since there are respective complaints and counterclaims each. And I love the numbers, right? I'm suing for 50 million. I'm suing for 100 million. Like, it's almost like the Dr. Evil, like, that's exactly, you know, that's exactly what I was thinking. Dollars. <laughs> you can just see her stroking a hairless cat, right? Like one, 100 million she, she dollars. I dressed like him the other day, which, which was really like, I had sort of gotten the Dr. Evil vibes just on the, on the, on the claim amounts. And then I'm going, oh God, she dressed like him. Like she's, 
<laughs> the slow morph metamorphosis into the Mike Myers character. If um, she shows up bald next week, like it's over. It's over. Um, <laughs> so I will tell you, she was, I, I, we're like bouncing all over the place, which is always great for a podcast. Um, she had served on one bar section in 1994. Who, so, Elaine? Elaine. So if I can back out 25 years from 1994, just at a minimum, because by the way, her firm webpage isn't working this morning. Um, which is uh, well, it's probably crashing because people are looking for them. But Johnny Depp's if if she if she started on that work group the year out, she's fifty three years old. I think she is older than fifty three years old. But and it just goes to your point of you're right. With somebody who would be having thirty plus years experience, that technique of objecting to throw them off shouldn't work, right? You hear the objection, you respond, you get the ruling. And you just immediately pivot to the next point in your thing. Uh, here's the other thing. I, not that you have the questions written in a variety of ways, but I, I think I always, especially if I knew I was going to be asking a question that was going to elicit a response, I either had the exception ready to go or I had a point there to pivot to knowing that that testimony might get, look, sometimes you ask a question that you know is going to raise an objection and you just sort of do it being like the other guy might be asleep at the wheel. Well, and also sometimes might get I, think, in. I think you want to ask, sometimes you ask a question that you know is going to get an objection because you want the jury to hear what the question is. You don't even necessarily care what the answer is. Correct. Right. Which is sneaky and not okay, but. Right. <laughs> right. Which is it sort of touches on the, the, the larger point that I, that I, I guess I sort of wanted to end with in terms of, of how I think this case is playing out and how it, it's going to be playing out. Um, th th there are a lot of questions that are being asked that I think you're right. The, the, the answer almost is irrelevant. It's, it's getting that information and I'm going to go a step further on this. It's not getting it out there for the jury. It's getting it out there for the court of public opinion. Oh, 100%. For studio executives, for movie producers, for casting directors. I think, I guess I'll just go here now. We, we, we can just talk about this now. My feeling on this is, is I, I think Johnny will end up losing the legal court case. I think that's possible because here's the thing. It's a credibility question, 100%, right? That's all this is about is uh, he said, she said credibility contest with some extraneous witnesses to back up what they're saying. Um, and he has to prove that what was in the op-ed, among other things, was false. And I don't know if he's gotten there. But like I said, when in the first part of this podcast about this trial, I don't know that he even cares about the money. It was to get his reputation back so he can get work. Right. Right. So and I think that part has been successful, but I don't know that she's going to win on her counterclaim either, which I think a lot of people are forgetting that she is counterclaimed for a hundred million. One hundred million dollars. Million dollars. And I don't know that she makes her counterclaim either. Like everyone no. might think 
their toys and go home and pay their lawyers. Neither one of them is going to. And I think it, you know, I got to make sure I got this one right. It's New York Times versus Sullivan was the Supreme Court case that laid out the standards. Yeah. And, 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 and I'm paraphrasing. The idea of more so is that if you, what you have to demonstrate to prove in order to get defamation depends upon who you are, right? Like you and I are nobodies. Johnny Depp is a well-known public figure. So what he has to prove in order to win that case is going to be higher than what you or I would have to prove when you're talking about reckless and knowingly false statements. Am I kind of right on that? Did I sort of get in the ballpark of con law one? Well, I think, I think if you're a public figure, there's like fair comment, but I don't think, I still don't think you get to outright lie about somebody just because they're a public figure. Agreed. Like I, I think the standard is like your opinion that you offer um, can be a little more edgy with a public figure, right? Here, here it is, by the way. A public official must show that the defendant made a libelous statement with knowledge that it was false or reckless disregard of whether it was false or not. And I think that's what, what you were touching on when you were talking about credibility determinations, right? Did Amber, her, let's throw away her counterclaim. Let's just focus on Johnny's complaint. When Amber Heard published the op-ed in the Washington Post, did she make a false statement with knowledge that it was false or a reckless disregard of whether it was false or not? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. Right, and I, and I think that's where, again, this case has the feel of people who are prosecuting civil assault and battery claims because we're trying to prove that the domestic violence happened, which is not what this case is. This case right. is about defamation. Well, I, but I think it, I think it's relevant to whether or not she knew or should have known. Absolutely. Right. Right. And, and I guess that's what I'm saying is I, I don't know that he's going to be able to meet his burden to show that when she made the statement, it was made with false or reckless disregard. We, we got to get Diane Warsh on. She will answer this question for us. Um, <laughs> right. But I guess my, my, my larger point to it was I, I knowing how tough it is for celebrities to actually be successful in these defamation claims. And it's right. Well, he lost, he lost his claim against the publisher in the UK. Correct. Right. So they're tough cases to win. That's why I don't necessarily think this one is as much about getting the W in, in the legal case it's about getting a win in the in the case of public opinion and so far i have to say with the exception of howard stern it seems to be that most people generally are on his side on this and, and again I, and it's weird i i don't i'm not suggesting that i think he was completely innocent or that she was completely villainous right i we we, we touched on this at the last one i think this was a very toxic relationship Oh, one of them right now is about to be in Aquaman 2 later this summer. And the other one has had their entire career cut out. And, and I think it, at least as, as far as I can read it, this case is about trying to win over the court of public opinion, including studio heads yes. and producers 
so that he can go back to making films. And I, I'll be completely honest, and then I want to circle back to the credibility stuff, but I think that I don't think he's ever going to be in a, quote, family-friendly franchise again. I think that's going to be a tough sell. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think he's going to be in a Disney movie. I don't think he's going to get a Marvel franchise, right? But do I think that, um, you know, the Coen brothers might want to work with him? I'm just messing around. Like, I don't know that he's Coen brothers, like their sensibility, but right. do I think that there will be directors and studios who want to work with him again? Yeah, I do. Um, because, and let's also be frank, he, those allegations came up when people were being canceled just with the mere whiff of controversy in a Me Too sort of context. Like you made the, the allegation came out, you got canceled and nobody hears from you ever again. And to some extent, that's what this is about too. Like the Chris Rock joke that we already talked about where Chris <laughs> Rock made the joke on us after, it was before she even testified, I think, but his joke was believe all women except Amber Heard, Yep. right? Because we're coming out of an era where it was believe all women and don't ask any questions. Um, and now we're getting, I think, some perspective on that. Like, well, maybe we should be asking questions before we completely tank somebody's life. Right. And again, if you didn't listen to part one of the podcast, we, we touched on this in great detail that, you know, there are certainly, absolutely, dynamics in relationships where, where one person is the abuser and one person is the victim. There are dynamics in other relationships where both parties play the, play each of those roles. And, and, and from what I've heard just on the testimony that I have listened to, I would more act, I would characterize this relationship as to falling into that latter category. That's what it seems like to me with the caveat of saying I didn't listen to every single second. Uh, right, absolutely, testimony. right? Right, well, and here's the thing, and this does go back to the credibility, is I think part of their jobs as witnesses testifying on their own behalf was to be likable, right? And I think he succeeded and I think she failed. Well, he, and I sent this to you yesterday, and we'll never know the answer. I, 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 I saw him do something that I have never seen in, let's see, I started practicing 14 years ago this November. In 14 years of walking in and out of courthouses, I've never seen a litigant shake the, and I get that it's different because he's a celebrity. Of course. I've never seen a litigant shake the hand of every single uh, deputy as they walk in and, and, and he didn't just do a very cavalier handshake. If you watch the video, we got to figure out how to post videos. That's our next endeavor, Rebecca. <laughs> if you watch the video, he, he stops, he looks them dead in the eye. He wishes them good morning. He shakes their hand. He moves out of the, I've never seen that in 14 years. And I, and I said to you, when I sent it, I said, I can't, I genuinely can't tell if this guy is such a phenomenal actor that this is all part of the role, 
or if this is him, because I also know that he's done things and we talked about it, you know, going to children's hospitals dressed as Jack Sparrow and didn't advertise it. It was very under the radar. So it's, is he that person? By the way, you you can wear a lot of different hats. Well, that's what I was just going to say. He can be that person who shakes every deputy's hand, who goes to the children's hospital and still be abusive behind closed doors. Yep. So let's not pretend like that's not a possibility, but I guess like all the jury is going to see, the jury is not going to see the deputy handshaking, right? Oh, they might, because they might be doing it in the courtroom. I I just saw a snippet of it. I don't know what he's doing in the courtroom. Well, I know what he's not doing. He's not looking at the jury every time he answers a question with like a bizarre facial expression. Right. That's, I mean, that's like talking about the being likable thing. Like there's some very bizarre mannerisms that are going on with her, which I am, I'm going to give her the benefit of doubt. She's nervous. It's a big deal. She's knows that she's trying to sway the jury because that's, she's in a jury trial. I get all that. But if I'm doing witness prep, hopefully ahead of time, I'm going to, I'm going to say, please stop. Like, don't turn your head every single time you answer a question and look at the jury because it's weird and creepy and it's going to make them uncomfortable. And if I didn't do that ahead of time, during my first break, during my direct exam, I'm going to be like, quit looking at the jury like that. It's probably freaking them out. Right. Right. But nobody has corrected her because she still continues to do it. She was still doing it. And someone must have coached her on the facial expressions because those seem to be, here's, okay, I'm sorry. I'm totally getting ahead. I'm tripping over my own feet just to say stuff, but I hope that they would have coached her out of that, but she was doing it even like with yes, no answers. Yeah. Like you don't need to look at the jury every time you say that's correct. Like you don't need to say that or do that, but here's the other thing. I am wearing pants today. (laughs) You don't see that didn't translate because there's no video, but the other thing that I noticed that we haven't talked about yet. So I'm sort of interested in your reaction to this. During her direct, Amber Heard was extraordinarily emotional. A lot of animation, a lot of vocal inflection, a lot of facial expressions, like clearly trying to send a message that she's reliving a lot of trauma just by testifying on direct. But on cross, emotionless. Emotionless. Yep. Which is interesting to me because I would think if this is very traumatic and you're being asked questions about the abusive relationship and you're being cross-examined and you're right Camille Vasquez did an amazing job of crossing her and trying to keep her on track no matter how many times she tried to derail um she was emotionless which was really striking to me it it was striking to me but I guess it wasn't altogether unsurprising for two reasons number one because you think she's a liar (laughs) well if you if you are if you are giving a performance right you are prepared for one you know when you're testifying and 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 by the way there it's it's somewhat extent performative art for every witness that testifies. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You are prepared for one half of your performance. The other half is improv. So 
on the on the direct half, you know, yes, I expect that you know she's going to be trying to demonstrate the emotion on the second half because she doesn't necessarily know what's going to be asked or how it's going to be asked. It's tougher to generate those reactions, especially if they were perhaps not as genuine as you wanted them to appear. Well, but that's um, my point. You can rehearse for the direct right. because you know what's coming. But for the cross, it's a little harder to rehearse. But if it's genuine, you shouldn't need a rehearsal for the cross. Correct. Here's part two of that, though. I think lawyers, when they do prepare their witnesses for cross-exam, it, it the first message that they are giving to them is, all right, when you are on cross-exam, it is yes, no, or I do not recall. And, and I want you to steal your nerves. You are not to get rattled. They're going to try to rattle you. And so now you're shifting the focus from telling a story to telling as little as possible, right? You and I have seen this. We see it all the time where you have a party on direct exam and they are singing like a canary, do, 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 telling a whole wonderful story. And then the second they get on to cross exam, it suddenly becomes, yes, no. <laughs> I don't recall, you know, to the extent of what is your birthday? I do not recall. Right. right. And, and, and suddenly it, because it's shut down, right. Because they have been prepped to completely shut down. She didn't totally shut down. I mean, I, 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 I will say I give her credit because she, you know, Ms. Vasquez asked some very difficult and some very pointed questions and she was not at all afraid to sort of tangle with her a little bit. But you're absolutely right. The the emotion of reliving what she went through on direct exam was completely absent on cross. Well, that's I mean, I don't expect you to emote as much as you did on direct. Sure. Um, but I do expect to not see a completely different person. Right. And and, and yeah. Although again, because I don't her, know. I, I feel like we see the two different people all the time. I, I guess right. that didn't necessarily surprise me as much. But her direct, it wasn't just like I have less emotion in cross. Her direct was so over the top, done for the people up in the back row of the mezzanine with the facial expressions. It was like it was. Right. And then she's on cross and it's like a I don't know, like a robot. Yeah. And to me, I'm just telling you, like, I get that they probably prepped her to not respond, but also like, I don't know. It just came across as, as lacking and it made it seem like the direct was more of a performance. That was the effect to me. And I, and I, I think that's probably how most people are seeing it. And, and, and keep in mind too, right. She also had to she had to testify after Johnny Depp testified. And I think across the board, again, with the exception of Howard Stern, who I think got, has had a lot of, he was very wrong on a lot of his analysis on this case, um, including the fact that judges get to decide if a trial's televised. Um, <laughs> there's public I mean, interest in this. Um, hold on, Howard Stern isn't a legal expert? You yeah, are shocking me. I know. And I love Howard, but he he got a lot of this wrong. Um, Johnny came across as very likable and very endearing in his testimony. Right. And I think she, 
on direct try to follow that up by by sort of the the emotion was was sort of and again i i i don't want to say that that none of it was sincere i i think that she lived through some really bad stuff i think they both did right i i i just think this was a horribly toxic relationship um and regrettable on on so many levels but it it it, it came across as sort of just like you said instead of just trying to be genuine and convey it, it was, I'm going to show you what a monster he is by so overdoing it. Yes. By over, by oversight. You guys enjoyed his chuckling and you think the glasses are funny and you laugh that he, you know, uh, was poking fun at all the hearsay objections, which is how it came across. That's exactly how people read and perceived it, right? Right. And then her, you know, her legal team's response to that was, we're going to flood you with, with emotion and, and with some very vivid storytelling that's going to elicit these very specific responses from her. And then when she gets over to cross-exam, is completely void of that. Right. Even though in theory, we're still talking about the exact same episodes that prompted a response earlier. Right. You know? I know. So, so with that, uh, we, we try, I know, to cram all these into 30 minutes because after 30 minutes, people stop listening to us. I stopped listening to us 10 minutes ago. I know. I know. <laughs> I, I'm going to listen. I want to do a part three to this. I want to try to get Diana Warshaw on to get her on. And then I'm hoping we can get a part three done before um, they hit the verdict. But if not, part three will be will be the verdict on this one. And we'll talk about sort of a, a replay of what happened and, and sort of where things shake out. I'm ridiculously excited. Yeah. I am. But I, and I just in closing, like if you want like a do's and don'ts for trial litigation, I, this case is so instructive to me. Do be Camille Vasquez. Do, do be Camille Vasquez. Don't be whatever is going on on the other side of that courtroom. Yeah. That's a mess. It is a mess. And, and I'll tell you, I still think, I still think neither is prevailing. Just I think you're gut. right. But I think if like, if you, cause they can only do what they can do with the facts, but if you want to see how to try a case, you watch his side. Yeah. Well, if you want to learn how to object, watch his side, 100%. please watch his side. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>